Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Reader, thanks a lot for taking the time to do this, buddy. Uh, Hey, no problem, guys. It's a pleasure to be on with you. I've missed you guys over the last... uh, 15 months not getting to come to Kitchener and, and hang around was uh, really tough, but it's great to be here and puck drop is coming so fast. I can't wait. Reed Duffy is of course the play-by-play voice of the Hamilton Bulldogs. Jay McKee, the former head coach in Kitchener announced as the new head coach in Hamilton. And Jay is our feature interview in this week of OHL stories. And I'll tell you what, Hamilton fans keep your ears on because it's so many great stories coming up in a 40 minute deep dive. You'll learn who Jay McKee is. I love the fact that you have one of my favorite logos on the shirt and on the Jersey behind you. I think they've done a great job with that Hamilton bulldog logo, but uh, you got a new person wearing that logo behind the bench in Jay McKee. Someone Farwell and I are both uh, very familiar with Uh, what was it like getting to know Jay at that press conference? Well, it was fantastic. As I mentioned to you guys, before we went on the air, one of the first things that uh, I talked about with Jay was that uh, he remembered me from seven years ago interviewing him during the Dundas Real McCoys run to win an Allen Cup. And that was really something special. I I had no idea that he would have remembered me so many years later. And then getting to to talk to him just a little bit was, it was awesome. I mean, this is a guy who played 802 in the show, uh, a premier shutdown defenseman of his era, who's come into coaching. He's been fantastic, great personality, I mean, Steve Stales was sitting next to me, just brimming with excitement, ready to go for the season. When you get that guy excited and Jay's excited, it was infectious. I wanted the puck to drop right then. I I was ready to go. When last we checked in, a playoff spot was locked up and some guy named Arthur Kaliev was absolutely tearing up the league points-wise. None of that is still the same as we look ahead to October. Yeah, and, and that's going to be sort of a brave new world for the Hamilton Bulldogs. No more Arthur Kaliev. Uh, he obviously went on to the Ontario Reign. I mean, we'd love to have him back. He still has eligibility, but after leading the Ontario Reign in scoring, I would say that would be slim and none, and slim left about a month ago. So <laughs> moving forward, Jan Mishak is expected back, likely in the middle of the first line. Tag Bertuzzi returns. Logan Morrison, Ryan Winterton, who just won gold with Team Canada. Lawson Shirk, and then a, a young guy up front and Jonathan Malie, who's a rocket ship on skates. This kid, if you blink, you will miss him. He is that fast. He is very exciting to watch. And then you move to the back end where it's going to be a lot different than what people will remember. Jake Ravel, Cade Landry, those guys have moved on. So Nathan Steos anchoring that back end. Colton Cameron was acquired last year. Nobody's been able to see him in a Bulldogs jersey yet. You guys know him from Sarnia. Big character guy, physical guy. We can't wait to see him line up. And then Chandler Romeo, who I need a ladder to interview, six foot six. Kid is huge. He's going to be on the back line, very mobile for that size. Our team, Grushnikov, comes in from Russia, sort of the international man of mystery for this team. Really, nobody's seen him. He's out of the famous Red Army program in Russia. And then Jorian Donovan, just named a Team Canada's U18 Summer Showcase. This kid's the real deal. Six foot two, going on towards 200 pounds. First round pick. Has the NHL family pedigree. I am so excited to watch him play. He's got the size, the speed, the skill, the character. Anything that you could ask for. It's a really bright future for the Hamilton Bulldogs. It's something we've been excited about. We were hoping to squeeze that last bit out of Kaliev in a 2020 season. Didn't get that lucky, but we line up really well, guys, for 2021, 2022. That got me excited. I want to go to a Bulldogs game. I'm with like, you. Let's go. Seriously. Just don't make me walk across that catwalk to the press box. I'll go to the yeah. game then. Yeah. I don't you know, mind that one. It's funny. After so many years, the first time I did, and you guys know my, my great longtime broadcast partner, Troy Islakar, love the guy to death. And the first time we did that together, he just about had to carry me across. I hate heights. Now I've done it so many times. I don't even think about it anymore. I got a show to do. We're on the air in 20. I got to go. I can pretty much jog across that thing now 
I just don't look down. Don't look over the side. Don't look down. Look straight ahead down that hallway and you're okay. Okay, real quick. With the, sorry, sorry, the Chris. thing with that walk, I just want to say, the thing with the walk, though, is that arena is so old. That's what gets me. I, I don't trust the construction. Sorry, Mike. No, I was just going to say, though, I'm still on the walk. I heard a rumor, Reed, confirm or deny. There's like a back way. You don't have to go across that catwalk if you don't mind taking a bunch of stairs or something. Help me out here because I don't want to do it. Oh, confirmed. Yeah, next time you guys are in the building, I'll take you up the back way. Perfect. It's, it's a little bit more, uh, we'll call it scenic. And, okay. and then uh, you, can, you can get up there, no problems. Yeah, there's enough stairs in that building. I'll just take the walk. I don't, I, I'll wait for the elevator, the 30-minute wait for the elevator. I don't mind. We have a second um, elevator now. There's a second elevator. Oh, wait whoa. A minute. All, Come this, on. all this is happening, and we're not even going to Hamilton this year. I know. When, this did, when did that happen? Oh, <laughs> uh, Reader, I, we, we talk about that arena. You know, there's a, there, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk about the arena in Hamilton. What's the latest update? Do you have anything? Uh, New arena? Are we staying downtown? Well, that part, it appears that we're, we're staying downtown from everything that I know. Um, there is a, a really nice-looking plan that's been floated publicly that um, I, I hope goes through and that they get onto in a hurry because it, it could really make that arena look beautiful, almost brand new uh, for the inside and out. They're going to remodel the whole thing. Um the, the elevator specifically, they put that in. It was supposed to be ready for 2020, 2021, and we didn't have the season, so I didn't get to show it off to all the, the folks coming in. But we'll, we'll, we'll get around to that. And uh, I, think that, I think we're staying downtown. I, I think that's the way that things are going to go. Um, yeah, the plan that's out there, if you see the pictures, they've been in the, the Hamilton Spectator. They've been online. Really nice look for the, the arena potentially if we can get all this uh, moving in the right direction. We talked about, and you've given a, an exciting description of what this team's going to look like when October rolls around. Let's let's go back 18 months. You know, Popper and I talk about this a lot because we really feel like in many ways we were at ground zero. We were doing a broadcast in Guelph on March the 11th, 2020. On the way to the game, we heard on the radio that the coronavirus had been declared a global pandemic by the World Health Organization. And by the time we signed off that night, the Rudy Gobert incident and the NBA had shut down. The Elmira Maple Syrup Festival announced it was being canceled. And Popper and I were looking at each other thinking, I don't know that we're going to be at a hockey game on Friday because it was in Guelph that night. It's supposed to be the back end of a home and home in Kitchener two days later. Of course, it never happened. What was it like for you and the Hamilton Bulldogs when the hockey world stopped? Uh, so I think, guys, it might have been the same day we were on the bus headed to Kingston and we, we go a, a day early for Kingston because the, the four hour bus ride. And then, you know, you don't want the bus legs after that. So we were on our way up and everybody on the, I've never been on a bus that was so quiet. It, it was like, everybody was sitting waiting for somebody's phone to go off because everything was happening and we were hearing all the stories and it was, are we shutting down? Are we going to keep going? Are they going to let us continue? Are we going to be able to get to this game? And I, I remember I was sitting watching uh, on my phone uh, and this is what, one of the things that really tipped me off because it's sort of, you could see it sort of develop from Europe into North America. I was watching an English um, national team game uh, in Europe and they were qualifying for what was supposed to be Euro 2020. And as I'm watching, like there's nobody in the stands there already. It's already been shut off and the, the leagues were just about to pause over there. And Agallo scores, um, uh, sorry, it wasn't England. It was Manchester United. Agallo scores. And just as he scores, the phone rings at the front of the bus. And that's when everybody kind of stopped and sat back. We were just north of the Toronto airport and uh, we got the bus driver saying we got to go home. And it was at that moment that we all kind of looked around and went, okay, when are we going to see each other again? Because it, it was really becoming something that, we knew this wasn't going to be one week. They told us originally, if you guys remember, two weeks, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks, guys. We'll finish this out. Two weeks go by, a month goes by, and you just have that sinking feeling that, uh, I don't like where this is going. And, yeah, and that's how, you know, how we end up here waiting for 2021-2022. That was, that was a really eerie bus ride. It wasn't too eerie. Um, yeah, that, right. that, I, ha, I had to, uh, reader, you know, a lot of teams in this league, they want 
to, or they'd like to say they have the, a pro style program, right? Or they're getting the players ready for the professional leagues. Hamilton was a pro team and they have a former NHLer as a GM and now two former NHLers behind the bench and Andreas Carlson. And of course, James Key. how pro is that Hamilton Bulldogs program? Well, I'll add one more too. It's three former NHLers behind the bench. Andrew Campbell, the second. Oh, that's year, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Super, yeah. Coach, uh, who joined us last year, uh, had some time there. And of course a captain across the American hockey league. Uh, it, it's a really pro program guys. Uh, this is a, a team where when you come in and, and I know it's, it's based on what we've seen with programs like Kitchener, like London uh, go on down the list of teams that seem to just produce professional hockey players. That's where the Bulldogs want to be on the East side. And it seems like that's where we've gotten to. When you look at the players that have come through, the team's only played in Hamilton at the OHL level for five seasons. Look at all the guys that have gone from the Bulldogs now onto the professional ranks and have had really good success. I mean, Robert Thomas, I know he came to us later on in his, but wins the OHL championship, goes on to win the Stanley Cup the next year. Riley Stillman, Mackenzie Entwistle, Matthew Strong. I, I could sit here and Ben Gleason. I could sit here and go on all day with this. And the way the Bulldogs develop is so incredible. It is everything about developing, not just the player on the ice, but the young man off the ice. The character element of it is so key. And we're seeing that become such a big deal at the next level. It feels like the Bulldogs were five years ahead of where the NHL was going. And I think that's what the big difference was. Steve Steo saw that when he came in and decided to build this organization around character and talent. And if we can develop the character, we can develop the talent and send them on to the next level as a more complete man, not just a hockey player. And we're getting great reviews on the guys that we've sent to the professional level. I'm very privileged to have been with this team as long as I have and seen this develop from day one. I am super proud to be a part of it uh, from everything they're doing from the front office on down. We obviously get the perspective of game day in Hamilton just once per season when we come there as broadcasters with the Kitchener Rangers. And we know that Rangers fans travel pretty well, and it's a nice, easy trip from Kitchener to Hamilton. And there's ample seating, even if we wanted to fill that whole damn barn. So we we see a good-looking team, and we're able to uh, see a good crowd when the Rangers are in there on, on family days when it usually turns out. But how has the city, because I think it's always considered itself maybe an NHL light market. How has the city, you know, embraced the junior game? You know, I, I think it took a little bit of time to go from the AHL mindset to the OHL mindset. But I think we're seeing much better embracing of the OHL than the AHL. I mean, of course, when you had the Toronto Marlies come in, that was always a big deal. But the Bulldogs being, when they were an AHL team, the feeder to the Montreal Canadiens, I think it was always a back and forth in Hamilton that people didn't necessarily wrap their arms around. When they went to the Calder Cup, it was great. You got to see Kerry Price and P.K. Subban. But you're developing players for the Montreal Canadiens in a city that is predominantly filled with Toronto Maple Leafs fans. I think there was always a disconnect there. And with it being an OHL team, people have really taken to this idea of now we get to see these young star potential players before they become the big stars at the NHL level. People following Arthur Kaliev, people following Mackenzie Entwistle before him. You're really seeing people wrap their arms around that concept. And we've seen year over year, the crowds get bigger and better and, and more vociferous. And I mean, after school day games, family day games, my hearing isn't right for about three or four days. So I can tell you that this, this market has really embraced the Ontario Hockey League I think it's just a matter now for us of continuing to grow that relationship with the city, because if we can become that team that you think of when you come to Hamilton in the fall, the winter, the spring before the Ticats get going, then we're in a great spot because it's a, it's the biggest small town I have ever been to. Everybody seems to know everybody. And if you can get them into first Ontario center, they'll keep coming back. It's great entertainment. I just wish we could see the Kitchener Rangers more often because they're one of the teams that brings that big fan base. And I think when our fans look around and see how well this team travels and you're looking all over and seeing that red, white, and blue, they start to emulate that. And we want to be that team. We want to be that fan base. So I think that's the road we're on. It's a good road to be on. That's for sure. Uh, this road you've been on covering the OHL. What This may be, I think I know the answer, but what's, what's your favorite memory from covering this league thus far? 
calling game two of the, pardon me, calling game three of the uh, 2018 OHL final. Sportsnet had game four and game six, unfortunately for me. But uh, getting to call game two, that building was packed. The atmosphere was electric, and I opened the show, and I knew it was my last call no matter what, whether the Bulldogs won it or not. So I called that game like I was calling game six. And I know it kind of goes against the way that maybe you should do it because it wasn't the do or die game. But knowing that this was my chance to sort of have that championship moment, I gave it everything that I had with it being my, my last night in the booth for that season. And for the Bulldogs to win an incredible back and forth game, Caden Fulcher with some amazing stops, Brandon Sajan, who had been a Bulldog from game one, playing such a huge role in that series and being a hometown guy and just everything that went into that was so cool that it's one of those games that I'll never forget. So that one would probably be at the top of my list. I think the second one would probably be when I signed to become the full-time communications and play-by-play announcer with the Bulldogs before 2019, 2020. I grew up a huge fan of Steve Stavis. He was a Boston Bruin when I was a kid. And I, I always loved watching him play. He's from Hamilton. That's where I've grown up. And, you know, I've always been in Hamilton. So getting to sign for a team where he's now my boss, that was such a cool moment for me personally. So those would probably be my top two. I don't want to speak for Popper, but I think we're together on this at being a, a wee bit jealous that you had that opportunity to call that game three in the OHL final a few seasons ago, because but what, what season is this going to be for us? Popper number four coming up that we've done together. Yeah. Four. Yeah. And, and then we were also, we believe on a path when everything came crashing down in 2020, that just maybe like we might've been saying it's possible in May, we might be out in Kelowna because we had this guy in goal with the Kitchener Rangers named Jacob Ingham and a lot of stuff was going right. And, Anyway, we still haven't had that opportunity. So I think I speak for both of us when I say jealous, damn it. We're jealous of you. <laughs> no, I, you know what? It, it, the stars have to align a bit. And uh, for us, when we got Commando and Moore at the beginning of that season and then around Christmas time, you started hearing the name Robbie Thomas. It's, okay. Yep. We're, uh, we're going for this. I, I thought you guys were on that road in 2020, to be honest. When we came to Kitchener, and I, I know it was a, it ended up being a bit of a, a shootout night. Uh, the Bulldogs stormed back in the game after Kitchener took the big lead. But seeing that game, watching you guys, uh, you're one of my favorite markets to watch away because I'll, I'll watch the game and listen to you guys call it. And it's so much fun listening to your broadcasts and seeing the way that that team was playing and that team had shaped up all season with Ingham rolling and McDonald comes out of nowhere and is becoming a star and all the pieces that were put into play Liam Howell coming across and it just felt like this is their moment and it got snatched away and I felt so bad for you guys because that felt like that was your moment to go that was your time to go and have a shot at it it'll come again Kitchener's never too far from being right there at the top of the league so you guys are going to get that shot maybe it'll be against us which I think would be one of the most fun series you could possibly imagine I was a major fanboy of Jacob Ingham. I don't mind saying it. So I was really upset because I, I love watching a goaltender when he's on like Hamilton got to see with Carey Price uh, back when they went up, went and won their first or their only Calder Cup. And as we saw in the playoffs and I was getting that vibe from Ingham every night, I thought when this guy's on, like you're not beating him. He's too good. Yeah, I got the same idea when I was watching you guys, when he was on his game. And at the top level, there was nobody in the OHL better than him. There might not have been anybody in the CHL better than him at that point. And the Rangers had put plenty around him to be able to do it. They, they were at the top of my list as favorites. Well, you just became one of our favorites because you spoke highly of our broadcasts. So we'll have you back anytime, Reader. But we truly appreciate you making the time for us during your summer to uh, help us get excited for the season that's to come. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, guys, thank you so much for having me. Like I said, always a, a pleasure to be with you guys. Love your guys' broadcasts. And uh, once our podcast gets rolling again in Hamilton, I want to return the favor, bring you guys across for the Western Conference perspective because we're going to need a little bit of update from what's going on on the other sites as we're not going to see it. We can do that, but we want to do it in person and in Hess Village. Oh, I think we can find a way to make that happen. <laughs> Deal. <laughs>
<laughs> all right, you Hamilton OHL fans, pay attention because you're going to learn all about the new bench boss with the Bulldogs. Jay McKee is our feature interview on OHL Stories this week. So it's a little different setting than the, uh, what, 68 times Mike gets to talk to you <laughs> pregame during the OHL season. So we'll try to stay away from uh, the, the ongoing season and what's going through your mind as we <laughs> embark on a game against Erie and just talk more so uh, about Jay the person. Mm-hmm. Um, how does it uh, feel to be back in a city where you coach, though? Do you really want to be this bored talking about me as a person? <laughs> uh, it's neat to be back. I, I was only in Erie for one year, so um, I was commuting for the most part. So I was I was back and forth. I would I did have a, a small apartment here that that had a, a couch and a TV on the floor, and I would stay there uh, just some nights if we had a, a late game and we were up early for practice. So. Um, you know, I didn't, uh, I, being here just the one year, I didn't uh, build some good friendships with the, the people um, uh, within the team. And, and But outside of that, I, I wasn't really in the city a whole lot. I promised Chris I was going straight for the jugular. I'm not messing around, Jay. <laughs> when I talk about the United States, there are two cities I like to pick on, Cleveland and Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I, I'll nev- I've never understood it, but I know how passionate you are about Buffalo. Mm-hmm. What makes Buffalo a great city? <clears throat> well, I, I think for me, to start off with, I... I Grew, I pretty much grew up there. My, the majority of my adult life was there. I, I started uh, my first game for the Sabres. I was 18 years old, and my first full season I was 19. So, um, you know, I, I played 10 years there. So really my, my, the, the grounding of my adult life became and started in Buffalo, really. So um, became home to me. And, and um, you know, once you get outside of the city a little bit, it's – it's a really tight-knit community. It's a you know a big open area, but uh, they're really passionate about their sports there. The, the Bills, the Sabers, uh, uh, the Bisons there. Um, so it's it's a good sports town, and and you know when you're an athlete in that town, um, people just really take care of you, and they, they they love to meet with you, they love to talk. The restaurant owners are excited to have you have you there all the time, and and everyone just seems to know who everyone is, and and uh, it's just got a great feel of the city and. Um, you know, on top of that, it's it's a hardworking, you know, blue collar type of town, and and uh, for me, my my style of play was that. So I was embraced by the city and the fans, and um, you know, I'm I'm proud to call that place, uh, you know, where I've lived for half my life. Did that make it especially fun to go back for that uh, preseason tournament this year? Yeah, that was that was great. I, I thought, you know, not only for 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 me and Matt going back to Buffalo and and seeing some familiar faces. Uh, uh, my kids were able to go to the game. My kids are based out of Buffalo. They, they're they're in their schools there, and my one daughter is heavy in the tennis. The other is in gymnastics, and my son's uh, trying to figure out what he wants to do still. So um, it was neat for them to get to the games. Uh, it's a little more difficult uh, getting them up to Kitchener as much as I'd like to, but they do get up when they can. Um, but just, just being back there in Buffalo, I thought they put on a great event. Uh, the Pagula family has really done a lot for the city, and they're building up downtown. There's a lot more things to do, and... and um, the venue there is great, uh, real easy for the teams to have access of getting in and out and, and bringing meals in. So it was, uh, it was a great event, not only because of being in Buffalo for me, but just the, the way it was put on. You, you talked about your kids being in Buffalo and whatnot and tennis and gymnastics. Uh, what's it like being now a tennis father and a gymnastics father? <laughs> yeah, my, my, my two, I have two daughters and a boy, and, and my daughters, we, um, we exposed them to uh, a lot of different things, tennis, baseball, soccer, gymnastics, dance, the list goes on. And uh, uh, as a parent, I like to let them kind of choose their own path. I don't want to, I didn't want to push any of my children down one path or say, you need to do this. It was expose them to a lot of things. And I think you, if you're going to be successful in something in life, you have to do what you love. And and my one daughter, um, you know, they were, they were both in tennis, gymnastics, and dance all at once. And as they get older, each of those sports requires more time. So one had to drop, and, and then another had to drop, and they both kind of chose their own path, and, and they're both doing great at what, they, uh, at what they're in. And my son's only five, so uh, he's just kind of getting exposed to a lot of different things. Now, I don't envision you as being very good at gymnastics, but how, how's your tennis game? <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, I, yeah, my, my forward somersault is amazing. Anything, anything past that is a struggle. <laughs> Um, no, my, I, I picked up tennis actually during the 04 lockout. Uh, I was golfing like most hockey players do and had a pretty decent golf game. And, 
and I just felt as it was getting a little bit colder, I felt they needed to do something else a little more athletic than, than being four hours on a course and having a few beers with my friends. And, and uh, so I got into tennis, picked it up. Basically, I'd never played it growing up, and, and I kind of got into that and, and just loved playing it. I loved the fact that you get on a tennis court with, with people at your level and, and put yourself through a real good sweat, um, burn a lot of calories, and not even realize you're doing it because it's so much fun. So kind of grew a passion for that sport. I started uh, attending the Rogers Cup and, and going to the U.S. Open and, and just kind of got, uh, you know, kind of immense in, into that sport and, and uh, made some friends that, that were pretty high up in the ATP. And um, one of my, my close friends now is a close friend is, was the chief player officer of the ATP. And I actually had an opportunity at the Rogers Cup um, in, in Toronto uh, Sidney Crosby flew in. Um, it, it was uh, Sid, myself, and Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal had uh, some court time to hit. We had two Come hours on. of court time. Uh, so Sid flew in for it. I had the connections, and uh, we got there, and it rained heavily for oh. two straight hours. Jeez. So we missed out on that. Oh. Uh, that, that was kind of one of those... Uh, just those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. It worked out. We ended up hanging out in the players' lounge for those two hours. My kids were there. I had pictures with them and, and Roger and Sid and all that. And so it's it's still a good memory, but uh, pretty neat experience. Oh man, uh, Popper and I are both big yeah. baseball fans or yeah. tennis fans too. We could we could go on and on about this on a tangent, but uh, man, that's a great story. I got to ask a quick question. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. One word answer: Federer, Nadal, Sampras, Agassi. Who's the best? Oh man, I, uh, it's, a, it's a, definitely a very tough one. I I don't know how I can't say Roger Federer. Yeah, I, do, I don't know how you can. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it is a great question, though. Well, well done. Yeah. Uh, what was your welcome to the NHL moment? Uh, well, it's actually a pretty neat story. I was I was playing junior hockey. Uh, it was my third year. I was in Niagara Falls playing for the Niagara Falls Thunder, and the season had ended. Um, you know, back then there there was no social media there was no iphones it was uh everything was a phone call or you had to pick up the newspaper to read what was going on so i didn't really know i had been been drafted by buffalo i didn't really know what state the team was in i I knew how they were doing the standings and you catch highlights on tv but um i was more immersed in in my own team and focused on ohl hockey and uh, so my season ended, and, and you know the season ends, and all the players get together for a few days before they they take off and go home, and you have your fun together, and you know a little bit of team bonding at the end of the season. And I think I was there for about a week, and and we were getting ready to get together with all the guys again, and I got a phone call from my agent, and he asked me how things were going, and it was kind of an unexpected call. I was at my billet's house, and and the conversation was smooth and normal, just kind of catching up, and then he said right out of left field said uh well what would you think if i told you the buffalo sabers wanted to play for them tomorrow night and and i can honestly say i i've never had this feeling before and i'll never have it again but i i couldn't even respond it was just one of those like i wasn't ready for it like the 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 question and um you know it's it's when you have a passion for a sport and you have a goal your whole life from the age of probably three or four years old I, i grew a passion for the sport uh, and now you're, uh, I'm at 18 years old, and I get that question. I know he's being honest, and, and it's a legit question. It's just so many thoughts and emotions kind of went through, and I, I, I could not even get a word out for probably 30 seconds. I, I think my agent was uh, on the other line asking if I was still there, <laughs> and I still couldn't say anything. I was just, it was just a weird feeling. So um, eventually we got back into conversation. I, I, I came out of my blackout, and uh, <laughs> um, he you know, he just told me the logistics of it, how to get there, what the plan was. And um, so it, the next day I, I drove in that next morning. And another kind of comical story is, is uh, you know, I was making, I don't remember what we were making back then, 20 bucks a week in junior, right? Enough for gas. And uh, we had the pregame skate. Uh, and the way it was set up, you had to take your extra stick, put it on the bench. And, and after you had to take your stick back in the room. It was a little bit different back then. And I left my stick on the bench. I forgot it, and I got in the room, and Rob Ray said to me, uh, hey, uh, you know, nice to meet you. Glad you're here. Uh, it's a $100 fine for leaving your stick on the bench. <laughs> oh, okay, Mr. Ray. Well, my parents will be here after the game, and I, I'll see if they have $100 on them. And uh, the game went on and, uh, later on that night, and, and uh, parents came in. It was great. And 
the game went great. It was, uh, it was like a dream come true. Everything went real well. I ran a few guys over. I, I jumped up in the play and toe-dragged a defenseman at the blue line, set up an assist for a goal. and so, so a lot of things went well. And after the game, Rob Ray came up to me again and said, Hey, kid, great game. Uh, real good game. Uh, congratulations on your first assist. That's uh, another $100 fine. <laughs> And he had a straight face, and I was like, okay. My, uh, like I said, my parents are here. I'll see if they have $200, Rob. <laughs> he said, oh, just, just so you know, too, that's uh, your first NHL game played. That's another $100 fine. So make sure you ask them if they have $300 on them. So I went out and said, Mom, Dad, they were all excited. Give me a big <laughs> hug. And the first thing I said was, do you have $300 on you? And they looked at me and, you know, with that blank stare, and I said, don't worry about it. I don't think Rob's going to chase me down, so... I never ended up paying them that uh, that three hundred dollars, but that it was just it was an amazing experience. Some of my teammates were were in the crowd, and uh, I kind of went into that game, <clears throat> kind of just having the mindset like not to worry about anything, just go play hockey, and it's you know this isn't going to make or break my career. And I just kind of I felt loose, and 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 everything went real well in the game. And then I was fortunate enough to make an impression to the point where. Um, after another good camp, uh, the following um, uh, fall there, I uh, was able to make the team. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the, your first year with Buffalo, you had guys like Matthew Barnaby, mm-hmm. Rob Ray, Brad May, yeah. all on your team. That is a rough <laughs> and tough <laughs> customer. <clears throat> did the team, did that kind of embody, obviously, what Buffalo is about, but also did it make it easier for you to kind of get into the league? Uh, it definitely did. I, I was a, uh, a physical. Um, I came out of the OHL, voted uh, top body checker by the coaches' poll. So I went into the NHL with that kind of a style of play. And I think without having guys like that, Bob Bugner was also on the team. Paul Cruz was there within a year or two. We, we had a real tough team, and, and I could go out there and, and play my style as a young kid and, and without any worry. You know, and I, I think if I was on probably 25 other teams at that time. Uh, had I played that style, I think uh, there would be quite a few guys on the ice that would have slowed that down for me and, and taught me a little bit of a lesson. So I was uh, definitely fortunate to have those guys uh, backing me up. It, it, it made every guy on our team play bigger, which which allowed us to be a pretty good hockey club. It was just a, uh, a few years after your debut, Jay, and, and I know that you're okay talking about this because I've seen you interact about it on Twitter, mm-hmm. but it's the famous 99 Cup Final. And uh, and foot in the crease. Mm-hmm. Uh, take us to that game. Take us to the the over when it when it ended, and the feeling uh, as a Buffalo Saber when all of a sudden the Dallas Stars were, mm-hmm. you know, streaming onto the ice. They had just won the Stanley Cup, even though they had broken a rule that was new in the league that year. Yeah, it was a, it was a rule I didn't like. I didn't like the rule. If a guy was standing in the crease before the puck went went across a crease regardless of whether he was interfering with the goal, it was considered no goal. And the goal was called back hundreds of times all year. Every goal was reviewed and they're called back. It felt like every game one goal was being called back. Um, I didn't like the rule, but it was a rule. And uh, so we were, it was game six of the Stanley Cup Finals, triple overtime. Uh, at, at that point, even starting game six, you're exhausted. I mean, it, it is a grind. It, it's a very physical sport. Um, you're playing every other night. In between series, you get a couple days off. Uh, so even starting game six, guys are, are hurt, they're sore, they're exhausted. You go out there on adrenaline. You go out there with a passion because you're, uh, you're, you're just a couple of wins away from winning a Stanley Cup. So there's, there's a lot inside you that gets you through the pain and the, the exhaustion. Um, so if you fast forward six periods later, you could imagine how guys are feeling. It's it's it, it was a weird feeling when they scored. I was sitting on the bench. Um, it's hard to say a feeling of relief. It sounds weird because we just lost the Stanley Cup, but it was you're so exhausted and so tired. There was actually a moment of of, of your body just kind of lets everything go for a second. You just you know uh, the exhaustion sets in, and nobody for a second. Probably because it was about 1.30 or 2 a.m. Nobody thought on our side to check check for his foot in the crease. The, when he scored, when, when Hall scored, everyone barreled on the ice and our guys hung their heads low on the bench and just that exhaustion took over, right? And, and there's obviously some emotion, uh, but I think the exhaustion hits first and then you, know, you go through the emotions of, of the fact we just lost and we're you know, one overtime goal and one went away from winning the cup and getting our names engraved on it. Uh, something that every player on our bench dreams of, has dreamt of for 20, 30 years for maybe some guys. Um, 
you know, and then we went in the dressing room after shaking hands, and, and same thing. Guys are just slouched over in their stalls and kind of taking in everything that just happened. And, and, and within minutes, we heard Lindy Ruff slam through the door. And we looked, and Lindy was steaming. He, he walked through the dressing room, and he heard another door slam open. And we had no idea what was going on, but he, he was clearly ticked off. And then he went out to the, the bench. He had, they had all went back to their coach's room and just kind of sat back in their chairs, and the replay was on, and that's when they realized, holy cow, his foot was in the crease. So they stormed back out to the bench, and he tried to get uh, everyone's attention, and, and they were kind of uh, politely waved away from the bench and a little too late now. Um, so that, that didn't fly. I mean, they were out there already bringing the, the uh, Stanley Cup out, so there was no kind of turning back at that point. It's unfortunate because I'm not a sore loser at all, and it's something I've let go. I joke around a, a bit on Twitter about it when it gets brought up. I, I, I can accept it, but it was not a legitimate goal. It, it was uh, His foot was 100% in the crease before uh, the puck crossed, and it's not even a gray area one where, well, I don't know, or there's a tough camera angle. It, it was not a, a legit goal that year. So it's unfortunate that it ended that way. And um, But for me, you know what? That it, it leaves a burning passion in me to, to do everything I can to get to that level again at some point in some capacity and, and, and strive to still win a Stanley Cup and get my name on it. A few times in the Ontario Hockey League, you've been at the wrong end of some video replay. <laughs> yeah. uh, does that, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> You know what? It's uh, it's interesting when we we rely on video replays in sports to get it right, uh, and when uh, you know it's obviously not robots that are looking at these clips. It's there's human error sometimes, and uh, you know I, I it, it sucks when you're on the wrong end of it. But we've also been on the right side of it. I remember a goal that Joel Griefa got last year. I think it was against Guelph. I don't recall if it was them or not, but it, it, it didn't, it wasn't a goal. I didn't, it never crossed the, the goal line. So I don't know how they got that one wrong, but it goes uh, both ways. And that's, you know, human error is a part of life. So it, it sucks when it happens, but you move on from it. You mentioned the name Brett Hull, a uh, hell of a hockey player. <clears throat> you played a season with Sidney Crosby. Mm -hmm. You played against Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. Uh, at what point do you kind of sit back and reflect on, on some of those players? I mean, I'm sure there were many others that stood out to you as great, but those are names that come to my mind. But about the players that you played with and against in your career? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I remember my first shift against Merrill Lemieux and Yarmory Eger because I skated as fast as I could to the bench and changed. <laughs> uh, they, were, they were dangerous. They were big and strong. And I was uh, when I started in the league, uh, my 19-year-old my year, I was 175 pounds. Jeez. It's a different game now. The, the kids now at, at 19 are you know, 195 to 215, some even bigger. I was a smaller, skinny kid that just kind of threw my body around with uh, without thinking about it. But, um, no, it, it, it's just a neat experience. Those guys you grow up watching, uh, you know, you know Gretzky is the great one. You look at the, the points uh, he put up as I was growing up as a kid, and he's, he's throwing up numbers that are astronomical. And then, you know, just to get out there the first time against them and, and, and anyone of that caliber, Mario, Wayne, uh, Jaeger, players like that, uh, Joe Sackick, you know, the list goes on. Um, you just, it, it's just a neat feeling. It's, it's one of those, you get into the groove of playing and, and you play almost every other night. So you kind of get into the flow, but then there's those, those games that you play against those guys where it kind of reminds you that, holy cow, you're here. You know, um, you get out of that normal routine of, of playing against another NHL team and now it's all of a sudden you're playing against a, a childhood idol who has torn up all the record books. And, and again, you look to change quick when he gets on the ice. <laughs> a guy who uh, opposing players, I'm sure, didn't like playing against, but you got to play with, is a guy like Dominic Hasek. As a goaltender myself, I've asked you this a few times. But what, how would you describe Dom? What was he like? Dom was uh, he was an unorthodox goalie and an unorthodox person. Uh, he, he's, um, I really liked him. I, I uh, had a good uh, bond with Dom. Uh, the year, my first year, he had won the Hart Trophy for the league's uh, most valuable player. And at the end of the year, he, he gave me his blocker and trapper and signed them for me and said, I want you to have these. So uh, part of that was just, you know, being a young kid that connected to him well and, and being a shop blocker. I think he appreciated the things I did and, and I appreciated him saving my butt many times. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we just, I, I think de defensemen and goalies, um, they quite often, uh, it doesn't happen with every D and every goalie, but there's a lot of times where 
they can bond pretty good. And I, and I seem to, Ryan Miller was a guy in Buffalo that I bonded real well with, Dom. Uh, when I went on to Pittsburgh, me and uh, Marc-Andre Fleury had a, had a real fun connection. He was uh, a real interesting guy. He, uh, during scrums in front of our net, when, when things are going mad, I mean, there's pucks and bodies flying everywhere, and it, I would hear him making these little whoop-whoop noises. <laughs> so it got to the point where and it sounds – I was in my 14th year, so I had enough confidence that – and I'm, I, I, like, I like to bring humor, and I know that that was uh, Flower, Marc-Andre Marc Fleury's um, – you know his personality and so we started doing that together we started <laughs> to make these little goofy noises during scrums in front of the net where where you would think guys are panicking and and worried you'd you'd hear us two kind of tripping back and forth <laughs> to each other and we had fun with it and um it's just one of those small things that that uh you know you have a connection with a guy and you have fun with him and and he's just a he's a a, a good-hearted uh fun guy and he, he brings his humor into uh into playing and that that that's what relaxes him Goalies are flakes, eh? Goalies are interesting. I'm right here. <laughs> I, that's why I brought it <laughs> I don't know if what I did you could classify as a goalie. It was more so just a glorified door opener. Yeah. Uh, shot blocking, and that was kind of a calling card of Jay McKee's game. Uh, as I just referred to you in the third person sitting here. But anyway, uh, how many of those shots do you uh, look back at and wish afterwards, geez, I wish I hadn't gone down to block that one? Uh, really only a couple. Um, I... I slid one time and I got I, I, I took a slap shot uh, right off the, the the front edge of my pelvic bone where you have that little bone in, in the front of your hip and there's not a lot of padding there that's kind of where the straps are in the pants so there was no padding really and it was a, a shot that hit me there and it, it rattled my whole pelvic structure and, and when I was on the ice uh, I, I didn't feel like I could, keep, I could get up for probably about 30 seconds it's almost like everything went numb and and I had a, a feeling and a thought that I was paralyzed, and that was just a, a crazy feeling that, that you never want to feel. And it, everything came back. The whistle went, and I was sitting there still feeling like I couldn't move my legs or anything, and a little bit of panic set in, and then it just all started to come back, and, and I was fine. I had a, a real bad bone bruise from it, but um, everything ended, ended up fine. Um, the other only real bad, well, there's two. <laughs> one, uh, one got me in the side of the nose and, and basically pointed my nose towards the ear, I didn't see that one coming. I was tied up in front of the net, and my head was turned. And just It was a slap shot from the point that just took me right in the side of the nose. Um, that one didn't feel good, getting that reset a few days later. Uh, and then the worst was uh, on a rush. Um, the guy was just inside the blue line. He took a slap shot. I stuck my stick out to deflect it. It hit the blade of my stick, hit the shaft, and I was looking down, and it got me right in the front teeth. So uh, my four front teeth were pointed towards my throat, and, and I... Right during the play, I knew. I felt with my tongue. I'm like, oh, well, I think they're gone. So I kind of <laughs> skated off during the play and walked down the hallway. And <clears throat> there's always a team dentist sitting right by the bench. And he hopped over the, the railings and went in the back. And I, I smiled in the mirror. And, and all my teeth were pointing towards my throat. And, and he said, okay, sit down on the chair. And I sat down on the chair. And he said, lean back. I leaned back. He got behind me, reached over, oh. grabbed my teeth, and then kind of pulled them all back to the front. And all I could hear was this crunching and swishing, and, and it wasn't a good feeling. And, and he came off his little uh, stool he was standing on. He came around in the front. He said, ooh. And he just made that noise. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? He goes, oh, they got to go up. So he went back around. He grabbed the teeth, and he pushed them back up into the sockets. And and uh, then he bonded them. And, and so that, that wasn't fun because we had a game the next day. So I basically went from that to just bonding them, flying to Boston that night, playing the next day, and then uh, – came back home and had a few root canals the next day so the teeth were all saved uh but but they all had root canals and, and obviously died um and now i'm sitting here with veneers so they've had some work done but uh that that was uh in the moment it's painful it goes a little bit numb but um yeah i didn't look too pretty for a while <laughs> i'm sweating just listening to that yeah, story and, and the, like the, 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 oh yeah descriptions I, along the way yeah, yeah i yeah no that's not fun um, you've had some fun since the playing career has ended, and one of the things uh, that doesn't take someone a genius to figure out is you have fun playing poker. You like to play mm -hmm. poker, a uh, World Series of poker. Um, where'd that come from? Uh, you know what? Just guys on the road would, would play some poker. You'd just sit in the rooms. Um, you know, when we get in, it, it's guys. Guys take it serious. I think a lot of people think you get on the road and it's they go out and they have fun. Um, you fly out at five or four o'clock. Usually, you get in in time to go to dinner, and then you, you head back to your rooms. And instead of sitting around in your own room just watching TV, guys, we get together and just play some poker for quarters or whatnot. And uh, kind of got into it there. And then 
was invited to um, uh, a poker tournament from Daniel Negreanu, uh, a charity tournament, did that. And it's just a, a fun way to, to spend some time, especially when you get around with some friends and, and try and take a little bit of each other's money. There's, there's more fun in that than taking a stranger's. <laughs> <laughs> Kid poker's a bit of a beauty, eh? Oh, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's entertaining. I actually met him at a, uh, a charity hockey game up in Hamilton years back and, and got him to sign a poker chip that I actually had on my hands. And, and uh, no, he's good. He's got a great personality. He's, he's good for the sport, and, and he's got a pretty good story behind him. I'm sure that's just one piece of memorabilia, so to speak, that you have. What, what are some of the coolest pieces of memorabilia you've collected in your time as an NHLer? Uh, obviously, a, a stick from Crosby. You got a couple sticks from him. Um, I think I kept telling them for they were for somebody else, but I kept them for myself. <laughs> but, no, but you know, a personalized stick from Sid. You know, I, I think uh, you know he's he's one of the greatest to play the game. Um, I had a picture taken my first year by the team uh, photographer. I, I had Wayne Gretzky tied up in front of our net, and and Dom Hasek was in the background. So. Um, I ended up getting that picture blown up poster size and, and had both Wayne and Dom sign it. And Dom had signed it to Jamie Key, my favorite shot blocker, and Wayne signed something else on it. So that was a, a pretty neat thing to have. Um, and then, obviously, having the, the being fortunate to coach Connor McDavid for a year, I got a 7, 8, or 9, 6 from him as well. <laughs> for other people. <laughs> for, for family members. <laughs> did he? I've been meaning to ask this one. Did he really break that puck in practice? He did, yeah. He shattered it. I, I've never seen it before. I've seen pucks crack or break, but this puck, he uh, he shot off the crossbar, and it, it exploded. It looked like there was uh, you know, a little firecracker in it that just made the thing shatter. So that was it was pretty unique. You've used, sorry, just Mike, you've used a, a comparison before when talking about Connor McDavid. Um, and I wonder if you can do it again. I don't know if you'll remember. But how would you describe you've, you've played against Gretzky, yep. with Crosby, and Coach McDavid. Yep. How would you compare Connor McDavid? Uh, well, Wayne played in a different era. I think what Wayne did in, in his era is, is insane. No one will ever put numbers up like that because guys now are, are bigger, stronger, faster, and, and to the point where they, they can't get a whole lot bigger, stronger, and faster. And, uh, you know, the, the, the arenas haven't gotten bigger when the size and the speed has, so things are a lot tighter out there now than, than when Wayne played. But um, I, I just, and Sid's amazing. He's, um, the thing about Sid is he, and I was telling you the other day, Mike, that he has the elite skill, elite work ethic, it, but he, he works like he's a fourth liner. You know, he works like he still has to impress the coaches every night, and he, he, he wants to be the best, and he has that fourth line mindset with elite abilities. Um, so he, he's amazing. And then um, Connor is just, it's hard to explain. He's on, a, he's on a whole new, he's like a freak in nature. He's on a whole new level where, you know, some guys have great vision, some have great passing, some have a great shot, some play physical. He, he kind of has everything in one guy. He's got Wayne's vision. He has uh, Joe Sackick's shot. He has Pavel Bure's speed. Or he's faster than Pavel. He's a better <laughs> shot than Joe. He's, he's, he's maybe better vision, you know, than guys like Mario. So he's just, uh, he's everything in one, and, and he just has the ability to move like no one I've seen. Not just his his speed, but how he, he cuts and turns and accelerates out of corners. It's... Um, it was a real treat watching him in his final year junior, and, and I was very fortunate to have him on my team and not playing against him. <laughs> uh, the cruelest thing about this game, I think, Jay, is how quickly you get old. So you're a guy now in your 30s. You talk about that you know, uh, 14-year career. And at what point in, in time did you decide that coaching might be next? Was, did it enter your head while you were still playing? Well, I just turned 40, actually, too, there a couple <laughs> yeah. months ago. So that snuck up on me, too. But... Uh, I was, uh, as a player, uh, enjoyed the uh, positional aspect of the game. I think that's one of the things that that helped me in, uh, endure a long career and stay in the game was I, I slowed down as I got older or the newer guys coming in the league were just bigger and faster every year. And, and I was a very positional player and uh, I like to think the game. And, and I think as I, as I was getting older, once I left Buffalo and went to St. Louis. I had some injuries my, my, for a couple of years and started thinking about, and I got close with guys like Bradshaw, Tony Granato, uh, Mike Yo. Um, and, and when you get, when you're older and, and the coaching staff gives you more respect, almost like uh, some of those guys treated me like I was on their level. You know, you didn't feel like a player coach. There, there was more of a connection there. And 
Bradshaw and I would talk on the phone after games, which which doesn't typically happen with players and coaches, but we would talk about our team and the systems, and, and he'd ask me advice, I'd ask him advice, and, and then I just asked him how he got into you know the path of, of where he got to after he retired, and and so it was probably when I was in St. Louis that I started thinking about what I wanted to do after and if I wanted to be a coach and just kind of observed the things they did, uh, the way they held meetings. And I think as a player, you you take, you know, I had a number of different coaches after so many years. You take some things that you think you learn from with some coaches and there's some coaches where, I won't name names, but I, I think there's some overcoaching is a real thing when when you're having you know 30 40 minutes of meetings before every game and and you're playing a team that you've played uh, it's the eighth time you played them you played them three nights ago and you're having 30 minutes of meetings uh you know before the the game again like that, that's overkill guys start to tune them out and and i've i felt it myself you, you want to be a pro and you want to sit there and, and stay focused and dialed in but you're you're kind of daydreaming, you know, like you know what he's talking about. You, you just played them seven times already on the season. You played them a few nights ago. We know what they do and everything, you know, so I do believe overcoaching is a thing. I, I never want to be that guy, but I, I also do believe that preparation is key. Having your guys aware of the systems and, and the players and uh, picking up on small things and adjusting your team uh, accordingly is, is very important. So um, meetings and video and all that stuff is definitely important, but uh, I think over the years, I just tried to pick up on things and, and try to apply that to my coaching. You played for some pretty awesome coaches. Um, what, what were some of the things that, that uh, you, you liked about their style of coaching? Um, I think Lindy Ruff, um, one of the things he did is he changed over the years. I, I think early on um, in the generation, the players that come into the league – each generation is a little different as well. So, you know, I, I think Lindy did a good job. He was pretty uh, – he, he coached with a little bit of intimidation earlier in his career. Um, he was pretty hard on guys. And then I think he changed a little bit and showed more respect to guys. And, it, you know, it wasn't so much ripping on guys all the time. It was working with them, you know, showing where they can be better, but then showing where they did it right, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and Lindy, Lindy was a guy that – he, he, he brought a sense of humor to the dressing room at times, and, and, and that shows that he's human, and I think you need that. Um, Dan Bilesma, when I uh, first started playing in, in uh, Pittsburgh, he brought a tremendous amount of humor. And I, I remember the first meeting, uh, he made a comment about one of the other players' names. I won't bring it up, but it was, it was comical. He just said, I don't know much about this guy, but he's got a great great name and and it was a name that i probably couldn't repeat it just you know um and, and i and we were in my second game with pittsburgh penguins we were in long island and uh the rooms there kind of have you have the dressing room then a connected room that has the, the change room and i was sitting right right by the door that the connects the two only myself and mike rupp were in were in the room we were in at that time and and the song smoke on the water came on the radio or someone was playing it and you know you got the the guitar going and as i'm taping my stick this i see this shadow fly by me on the right side uh through the doorway and it startled me so i kind of stepped back and i looked and it was dan bilesma in a full suit tie on and everything he lands in a full squat and he starts air guitar and smoke on the water <laughs> and this is my second game with the penguins they had just won the cup the year before and i looked at him i looked over at mike rupp and he just shrugged his shoulders like oh, i don't know what to say or what to think and i looked at bowels and he just he just went went hard for about 10 or 15 seconds and then he stood up straight fixed his tie and walked out and me and mike rupp just kind of looked at each other like because we were both new to the team and and uh, we took a moment, and I'm like, I, I love that. That's, <laughs> That's wonderful. You know? That's and, a good song, and, uh, Yeah. And it just it, it made him human, and it, it kind of made us uh, – he was very professional. He was very structured. He, was, he had his edge to him. He, he, he pushed the right buttons, but he showed that he was also human. And, and, and that was something that I kind of picked up on and I, I liked. You know, it made, me, it made me like him and it made me kind of want to play for him. You know, the fact that he shows a human side and he wasn't just this hardcore guy that you have to do this, you have to do that. And, and, uh, and then I do remember another thing with him where we came back to Buffalo for a game and I was in the, um, in the dressing room before the, for the morning skate and 
uh, for some reason, every time I came back to Buffalo after playing 10 years here, I just I had a little bit of extra nervousness just because I'm playing in front of what felt like my hometown and I'd have hundreds of people there that I knew and there was just a little added nervousness and I'd go to the rink early in the morning just trying to shake that and, you know, and I remember uh, I was in the dressing room, pretty big dressing room, and Dan Bosman was on the far side of the room and he threw a football at me. So I caught the football and, he's, and I looked at it and he's like, put his hands up, like, all right, throw it back, right? So I threw it back to him. He threw the football for a minute or two, and it and it just one of those and it relaxed me, you know. It was like, huh, you know, like this is kind of this guy's fun, you know, and <laughs> and I, I kind of had that thought, like, no, I'm nervous about it. I've been playing this game at this level for 14 years. Why am I nervous? And it just kind of relaxed me, and I went out and had a great game, and and it was just again one of those things that it it kind of just it, he he added a connection to you when he he did things like that, and and that's something I've I've done. I've thrown the football around the room with the guys in, in Kitchener uh, just randomly and sometimes it's new guys like a guy like Adam Liska who comes here and is from Slovakia doesn't know anybody and and uh, you know one of the days one of the earlier days I grabbed the football and I threw it to him and he looked confused and I put my <laughs> hands out and he threw it back and we played catch for a minute and then he walked off and I think he probably thought well that's different you know <laughs> yeah. um, but that that kind of just builds I think a little bit of a an open relationship you know now I think he can you know not just that there's other things I think that maybe he can come to me a little more and the one day I he was calling me coach I said just call me Kieser you know like it's it's fine and he says oh he says in Slovakia he's I can never do that I must call them coach I'm like no no hey we're family here like we, we gotta love each other and, and do things for each other and I don't know you have to ask him what he thinks about that but I, I think it it gives a human element and and it, it creates a bit of a bond between me and Adam, and, and it makes I hope it makes him want to trust me and, and uh, want to play for me and do the things I ask. Okay, so you've tossed the football. Uh, has anybody ever seen you do the air guitar yet? <laughs> uh, I have not done the air guitar. I, uh, last year when we were on a winning streak, I might have walked in the room and did a little snap and pop dance move. But um, no, I, I, no air guitar yet. But that, that's something that maybe I'll pull out one day when things are going really well. <laughs> Jay, you played in this league, and, and then we're going to let you go after this because we have a game to prepare for, apparently. But uh, you played in this, this league. A little, you already admitted to being 40, so a little over 20 years ago. Uh, how is the Ontario Hockey League? Uh, today versus when you played it, uh, I, I think the players are—they're definitely much more prepared. They—they they understand the game more. The systems are better. Uh, if you go back to when I played, there there was no digital computers. There was no we, we, we couldn't. There's no iPads on the bench where you can pull up uh, the shift before and show a guy where he's made a mistake. Um, we would go out and the coaches would say, "Okay, you guys are the five guys on for the power play. Go score." Now it's. You know, we're, we're spending time showing guys, uh, we're breaking down videos, showing them what other teams do, what their tendencies are, what the breakouts are, what they do in zone, uh, what trick plays they have on face-offs. Um, so there's a lot more time and effort put into preparing these guys, and I think what that does is it, it gets these guys more ready for the next level. It's no different. If anything, it, it's more intense up there with that stuff because there's millions of, millions of dollars on the line, uh, not just for the players, but for the coaches, for the, the organizations. Um, you know, back when I played, it, there was there was none of that. So I, I just think the game now is a, it's a better game. Uh, the players uh, are, are they're bigger, stronger, faster, even at this level. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the things change when back in '94, when when the salaries started going up, uh, just naturally, uh, it's it's a bigger carrot. You know, everyone wants to, to, to make a living to the point where they can take care of their family and maybe even the next generation in, in sports. So guys are, are working harder for it. And, and uh, you know, when, when I played, the NHLers would show up to training camp to get in shape. Now they're showing up in elite shape, you know, because they want to they all beat each other out. So the game is it's a better hockey game. Guys are more prepared, and it's, uh, it's definitely a more intense game now than it was back then. And real quickly, you mentioned the salaries going up and whatnot. How lucky do you feel that you got to be a part of that and that you've set up a couple generations? Yeah, well, it's I feel very fortunate. It's uh, to to make a you know it's an, it is entertainment. It's a, the entertainment business, and um, you know there's I remember I remember being a junior hockey player, seeing a, a guy in baseball holding out. Uh, he wanted five million, and and they were offering him four. And I thought that was the most bizarre thing ever. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> and and I, I get it now, and and. There was a time where I thought that these guys are all overpaid, but if there's money in the sport, 
um, you know, it, it, it they, can, they can earn it, right? And, and that's just how it is. It's the owners get their, their fair pe- uh, piece of it and the players get some. It's, it's entertainment. And, um, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate to have played a sport I loved my whole life. And, and there was a lot of hard work and there were sacrifices. I left home and moved to Sudbury, which was seven hours away from home at age 15 and never went to a high school prom, never went to college. There, there was things that I missed out on that, that I think a lot of uh, people look back on in their lives and, and really enjoyed. Um, you know, I left my family at a young age. Um, so there, there's sacrifices that are made. There's uh, a lot of hard work that's put in. Uh, it doesn't just happen, but uh, yeah, I, I certainly feel very fortunate um, that I was able to uh, have the success that I had. Did you ever think of not reporting to Sudbury? It, it happened, you know. All <laughs> oh, right. No, it was never thought in my mind. And, and you know what? And that's part of the thing, too. When I said there was no internet back then, there was guys just went and played. They didn't, they, I'd never heard of somebody not reporting somewhere. You know, now it's uh, anytime some guy says he's not reporting, it blows up on Twitter, it's on every social media site, it's on the news. And, and back then, you just, you, you were fortunate and happy to go wherever somebody wanted you, and you did it without thinking. And, and that's how it was. Well, yeah, you played in bu- Buffalo. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, I, I, I did hold out a couple of times for uh, contract negotiations, so uh, I, I was, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's. Uh, I was happy to play. I didn't matter where I went. It's, it's a little bit different now. The, the generations now, where guys kind of say, "I don't want to go there," and this and that. I, I don't like that, but uh, to each their own, I guess. Look, we're glad you're here in Kitch right now. Thanks for uh, making time for us on this. No, my pleasure. It's always uh, it's always a good time with you guys. Appreciate <laughs> it. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. Had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.